0: Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. This chapter of the book of Acts is really a a turning point in the book of Acts. Now we've seen, I mean, the book of Acts all throughout is a book of transition. There's changes taking place. Everything's changing all the way through the book of Acts. But beginning here in chapter 9, we see some, some big changes. And really in this chapter itself, there's There's just some hints as to what's going on uh you're really left kind of after the fact going into some of the epistles and later chapters of the book of acts to to kind of kind of piece together what is what is the big change that's taking place here but um just keep that in mind as we as we look at uh, this account here in Acts chapter nine and let's start in verse one, acts chapter nine verse one, and Saul And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, this isn't the first time that we've encountered this Saul in the book of Acts. Uh, Just to remind ourselves, uh, a few weeks ago, we saw in Acts, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his, that's Stephen's, death. That's the first place we have mention of this man Saul. And you see, it says, At that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3 says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. And so here in this this early church in Jerusalem, Saul is the chief persecutor. Um, Saul is, it doesn't give us a lot of information about Saul here, in this part of the book of Acts, but we can see from some other passages. We can learn a little bit more about him and his background. I want you to go over to Acts chapter 22. You can put a, a mark in chapter 9 because we'll come back there. But go over to Acts 22. Um, this, this event of Acts chapter 9 is actually recorded in, in several places. Um, where we're reading in Acts 9, it's Luke recording it as a part of the, the narrative of the book of Acts. Uh, as he's recording those events. There's two other places in the book of Acts where you have Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, um, recording Paul relating those events, okay? And that's in Acts 22 and Acts 26. And in both of those cases, Paul is before, um, you know, various officials and he's giving his testimony. And here in Acts 22, in verse 3, Paul says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. Uh, now he's, he's standing here, the Apostle Paul is um, here before the, the Jewish leaders, and uh, you see, he says that he's from, he's not from Jerusalem originally, he's from the city of Tarsus. And that city, you may have a, a map or something in the back of your Bible that shows uh, that, that region of the world. Cilicia is a Roman province up in what would be modern-day Turkey. Um, it's often called Asia in the Bible, Asia Minor. Um, and Tarsus was the capital city of that province. Um if you, go, if you go up a few verses into Acts chapter 21, um, you see in verse 39, right near the end of the chapter. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And, and so Saul is from this, this prominent city there. Um, that city of Tarsus was a, a, a center of learning. There was a, a great library there. Uh, the city's figured into a, a few things historically. In fact, uh, it's the city where Mark Antony met Cleopatra. If you're familiar with that history, uh, they met in in that city of Tarsus. Uh, sometimes referred to by it's got a few different names that it's that it's referred to as. But uh, that's where that's where Saul or here called Paul, was born, was in that city of Tarsus. And we we learned in other passages that Saul was a Roman citizen. And you see he says there, a citizen of no mean city, meaning no, he's saying, I'm not just from some, you know, some average city, I'm from this very prominent place of Tarsus. And he says he's a citizen. Um, you know that not everybody who lived in the Roman Empire were citizens. In fact, most of the people that, that uh, Saul would be dealing with in Jerusalem, in Palestine, would not have been Roman citizens. As a, as a Roman citizen, we don't know exactly how he you know, came to be, as a Jew, how he came to be born uh, as a Roman citizen. He, we know he says he was free born, meaning he didn't become a citizen through military service, for instance. That was one way somebody could earn Roman citizenship. But he was a citizen from birth. And that gave him a, a certain status and a certain prominence. It, it also meant that um, he had certain legal protections that non-citizens would not have necessarily had. Uh, he probably had a greater freedom to travel within the Roman Empire than what a non-citizen would have. But um, he he explains, though, that he was brought up, he says in, in chapter 22, verse 3, brought up in this city, which is Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, and Gamaliel is that very prominent rabbi, even considered a, a, a very prominent rabbinical source today. Uh, Saul, or Paul, learned at the feet of Gamaliel. And, and he says he was taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. Verse 4, he says, I persecuted this way, meaning this way of, of Christ, I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women. Verse 5, as also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And, And so, again, Saul is this chief persecutor. Um, He would be very similar to, uh, for instance, in, you know, in the modern day world within the religion of Islam, uh, and and especially in certain countries. Most people would would think of this maybe more in connection with Afghanistan. But there's a a group called the Taliban, right? And the Taliban, a a Talib, is a student. And they are the people who study the Quran, and they determine what the, you know, what the, the standards are. Are to be for Muslims, and then they go around, and they're sort of the religious police. That's what Saul is here for, for Judaism, uh, and especially for Pharisaical Judaism. Uh, go, to a, go to another passage. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Again, this is Paul, or Saul. Writing, I may use those names interchangeably. Um, he's still called Saul in Acts 9, where our main text is. Uh, later in the book of Acts, his name will be changed to Paul, and so these these passages where he's reflecting back on those things, he's referred to as Paul, but the same man. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 4: Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. And Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And the reason he mentions he's a Pharisee there here is Paul lists these different things that he could glory in in his flesh. Um, in a you know another passage, he refers to himself as a Pharisee, and he says that he lived according to the, the straightest or the strictest sect of Judaism. Uh, you know that that in this in this period that we're looking at here, there would have been several different sects of Judaism, but primarily you had the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There were a few other minor groups within Judaism, but it was primarily the Pharisees and the Sadducees. and the Pharisees were the the religious conservatives, fundamentalists of their day. The Sadducees were more the the theological liberals of their day. So as you read about the interactions between these groups, uh, the Sadducees, for instance, didn't believe in spirits or angels or resurrection. They just believed all those things were were just sort of allegories, or you know, they weren't really literal things to be taken literally. The Pharisees believed in all of those things, and and of course, um, Christ and and later the Apostle Paul, they would have agreed with the Pharisees in, in those things, that uh, there is a resurrection of the dead, that there are spirits, there are angels, right? Uh, in fact, what you see many times, uh, Christ himself in his earthly ministry, he'll tell the people, listen to what the Pharisees tell you, but don't do the things they do. He's saying they're, you know, they're right in their, in their teaching about many of these issues, but don't follow their hypocritical example and that's often what what fundamentalism whether it be non-christian religious fundamental fundamentalism or christian fundamentalism can often suffer from is there may be some right teachings and some good things but it often it often winds up in hypocrisy okay and and you know paul mentions here that he was a pharisee to say that he wasn't just a nominal Jew. He wasn't just, you know, like there would be many people today who are ethnic Jews who aren't religious at all. They would have been there in Paul's day as well. He wasn't one of them. He wasn't um, one of the the, uh, Greek speaking Jews who believed that they should just, you know, basically adopt all the, the Roman lifestyle. Uh, he was a Pharisee, which means a separatist. He was one who said, no we need to we need to remain faithful to the law. we need to remain separate from the Gentiles, all things that were that were true under the law right and and he had so much zeal in that um you know his his desire to persecute the church, he he mentions in many places that as an example of the zeal that he had, uh, he thought he was doing something good. He thought he was serving the Lord. Remember, Christ had told his disciples that the time would come when people who killed them, killed believers in Christ, would believe that they were doing God's service. So Saul is not is not persecuting the church because he's anti-religious or or anything like that. He believes he is serving God. He's hyper religious, you could say. He believes he's serving God by what he's doing. And that kind of that kind of sets the stage then if we go back to our text in Acts chapter 9. So he has he has made havoc of the church in Jerusalem and in Judea to such a degree that many of the Christians just left and went other places. The, you know, the scripture notes that the apostles remained in Jerusalem. Uh, no doubt they had to be very careful about where they went and who knew where they were going and, and that kind of thing. Uh, the apostles remained in Jerusalem, but much of that Jerusalem church, you remember those, those, you know, those thousands that believed on the day of Pentecost and, and this growing church there at Jerusalem, many of them left to go to these other places. And so here in Acts nine, what Saul is doing is he's leaving Jerusalem to go up to Damascus. Now Damascus is in Syria; uh, that was the name of the nation then. It's also the name of the nation today, where Damascus is. Uh, and he's going to go there, and, he, and his, his focus is on the synagogues because at this time these believers are all Jews, so they're in the synagogues. This is a this is a this way that he talks about would be something that's growing within Judaism. We've seen how even even the people who are scattered because of the persecution, they're going out into these Gentile countries, but they're speaking to none but the Jews only. There is no real Gentile ministry. We've seen a few individual Gentiles early in the book of Acts that have been ministered to, although they always have some prior connection with Israel. It's never just some heathen Gentile that uh, anybody's going to with the gospel. and And so... Saul is going to go to Damascus, and he gets these letters from the high priest, from the elders, so that he has authority. He's going to go up to Damascus, uh, and he brings these letters of authority to try and root out any believers in Christ that are there in the synagogues in Damascus. And you see what he's going to do. He's going to uh, bring them bound to Jerusalem and we're back in Acts chapter 9 and and you see that in verse 2. So he's going to he's going to arrest these people, bring them back to Jerusalem to to stand trial. And he talks about how he gave his voice against people to put them to death, okay? Cuz basically what they wind up doing is trying them for blasphemy or or something like that. Because by believing that that Jesus is God or even even the Son of God, Uh, to Judaism that's considered blasphemy against God which it would be if it wasn't true and that's something that that uh, they would say is worthy of death and that the law would say is worthy of death if indeed they were guilty of blasphemy but you see that that Saul's plans to go to Damascus are cut short and In verse 3, again, we already read it, but let's look at it again. It says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And you see verse 5, he said, Who art thou, Lord? Um, Several interesting things here. One is, so we know this is Christ speaking to him. Right. In fact, he, he tells him, "I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest." Um, but he asks him, "Why persecutest thou me?" He doesn't say, "Why are you persecuting the believers?" He says, "Why are you persecuting me?" And I, I'm you know I'm sure one of the things going through Saul's mind um, is, "Well, when did I ever persecute you?" But remember what Christ had said about. About his disciples, he said, "Anybody who offends one of these little ones that believe in me," um, and he says, "Whatever you do to them, you've done to me, right?" And that can be a that can be a comforting thing to know. Um, again, Christ warned his disciples that they're, you know, they were going to be hated because the world hated him first. And how how the world, and really even how we treat other believers in Christ is something that Christ takes personally. Now he also said that you know, if somebody gave a, you know, gave a drink of water uh, to one of these believers in his name, that, that they would have a reward, right? So it works the other way as well. But uh, you know, if you're ever suffering persecution for believing in Christ or for sharing the gospel with people or anything like that, realize that Christ himself takes that seriously. He takes it personally. He's not indifferent to it and um, not only that but but uh, what the lord what the Lord promises is that vengeance is his it's not up to us to to take vengeance it's not up to us to to try and try and stop all of that you know there's a lot of a lot of people who are uh, engaged in in all kinds of uh, political activity to try and prevent persecution against Christians. You know, there, there's a certain degree to which that is beneficial, but some people just they're they're so wrapped up in that and, and and you know, how do we how do we stop all of this? And really what Christ says is he says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And and just understand that how the world treats the believer, how the world treats you as a believer, they're treating Christ that way. And so this persecution, Saul didn't realize it, but in persecuting these believers, he was really persecuting Christ himself. and And so as he's knocked there to the to the ground, and as he's unable to see and he hears this voice, uh, and the voice says, "Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me?" His first question is, "Who art thou, Lord?" And that's a that's a very telling question because, Christ had said for instance that his sheep know his voice right and the and that was that was some of a condemnation on the unbelieving pharisees was they didn't even recognize their own messiah when he came and and so here is the lord is speaking to Saul he doesn't understand who it is he doesn't know who it is um he, you know, the fact he calls him Lord, some have some have thought that he's using Lord just in a sense that you might refer to somebody as sir, like a stranger, just a, a formal type of thing. I, I think he understands. I mean, think of the circumstances, right? You see a bright light from heaven and and uh, you're knocked on the ground and you have a, hear a voice talking to you. Uh, you probably can rightly conclude who it is that's talking to you, but he realizes he doesn't know. Who you know? He he's been doing all these things that he thought he was serving God. He had a he had an image of God that he thought he was serving, but he's confronted with the fact here that that the God he thought he's been serving was not reality, and he doesn't know who this is that's talking to him. And you know, you you can see the same kind of thing when when. Um, People in people's reaction to the word of God. You know, God is not going to speak to you today like He speaks to Saul here on the road to Damascus. But we have we have the word of God, and, and you see people who profess to be Christians and yet they can't figure out what the Bible has to say, or or, or don't agree with what the Bible has to say about even some of the you know simplest moral issues. And, and, of course, it's because they, you know, they love darkness rather than the light. But in many cases, those people are just like this lost Saul here on the road to Damascus. And they're, they're confronted with the voice of the Lord in the word of God. And they don't recognize it for what it is. They're, they're not, you know, in, the, in the much the same way that Christ said, his sheep know his voice. Um, there are many people who profess to be Christians that when they're really confronted with the word of God, they, they can't even identify it as being the word of God. And and they wind up in opposition to it, um, or or people who think that they know what the word of God is and and really have no clue. I remember one time um, talking with a with a man, and he told me his favorite verse in the Bible was the verse that says God helps those who help them, help themselves. And and I told him that's not in the Bible anywhere. And he said, Are you, are you sure? I I know it's in there. And I, no, that's not in the Bible. And he said. He said, no, I'm sure it is. He said, a friend of mine who knows everything about the Bible told me that's in there, right? And um, now what he was doing is he was, he was trying, I think in a certain way, he was kind of trying to maybe impress me that he knew something about the Bible. And the reality was he didn't, he didn't know anything about the Word of God. And, and the reality is he's, he doesn't value the Word of God because he's not a believer in Christ. And, and, and we shouldn't expect you know we shouldn't expect the the unbelievers to value the word of god but we should expect believers to value the word of god and and i'll tell you that if if somebody doesn't have a desire to to know the word and to grow in the word to to me that's one of the greatest indicators of salvation you know saved people saved people can can be involved in sin right and that's not something that that affects their salvation uh you know certainly if you have somebody who just claims to be a believer but but just you know, obstinately refuses to to change anything in their life. Maybe that might cause you to question their salvation. But really what causes me to question somebody's salvation is when they have a disregard for the word of God, when they claim to be a Christian, but but really have no place, no value, or or have no, you know, no interest in God's word. And and I wonder, man, how, how could you be saved? Paul says, this, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, right? And, um, Saul here, uh, as he's confronted with the Lord himself, realizes he doesn't know the Lord. But before this encounter is done, he's going to know the Lord and serve the Lord and and realize that all of that that he had been doing is worthless. It doesn't serve God at all. Um, You see see in verse 5 again of Acts chapter 9, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, that word prick there is, is referring to like a prod or a, or a goad. You know, you think about if you're, if you're uh, trying, to, trying to move cattle or, or other animals in a certain direction, you might use a, a prod. Um, today they have electric cattle prods that work really well. But even a pointy stick works pretty well. And what he's, what he's saying there, what the Lord is saying there to Saul is, is he's really pointing out to him that he's been, he's been moving him in, in this direction uh, and Paul's been kicking against it. He's been fighting against it, just like when you get a, an uncooperative animal that, that uh, you know, just doesn't want to go where you want it to go and fights against it. That's what Saul had been doing. He hadn't been serving the Lord. He felt like he had been zealous and, and you know, and doing what the Lord wanted him to do. And really he'd been fighting against what the Lord wanted him to do. And so, in in verse six, you see the, the the demeanor of Saul is much changed because now in verse six, in verse six it says, "And he trembling and astonished." Now, as he set out on his way to Damascus, he wasn't trembling and astonished. He was looking to make some other people to be trembling and astonished, to be afraid of of him coming and and um, taking them captive, right? But now he's the one that's trembling and astonished. And he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And when he thought the right thing, as an unbeliever, when he thought the right thing was to go and persecute the church, he went and did that with you know, all his might that he could put into it. He realizes here, in, in an instant, that that's not what he should be doing. And now he says, okay, what am I supposed to do now? He recognizes who it is that's speaking to him calls him Lord. And he says, what wilt thou have me to do? And he yields. Now he's trembling and astonished. And he yields to the Lord and asks him what to do. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city. And it shall be told thee what thou must do. And it says, the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And you see verse 8, Saul arose from the earth. When his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus and and so this this strong, powerful, authoritative man, Saul, has to be led by the hand. He can't see a thing he has to be led by the hand into Damascus uh reminds me of another thing Christ said about the about the Pharisees, and he said, if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into the ditch and Here, blind Saul has to have some seeing men to lead him. See how all that all that pride is taken away because in just a few days, he's going to meet with a disciple of the Lord who's going to tell him some more things to do. And he's going to get his physical sight back, but he realizes that need for somebody to who has some spiritual sight to lead him and tell him where to go and, and what to do. And so you see this complete change in the demeanor of, of Saul of Tarsus here. Let me just tell you that, there are, some, there are some unprecedented things that are happening here in this passage with Saul of Tarsus. And in fact, Saul is saved in a way that nobody had been saved prior to that. And there's something new beginning here. What's happening in Acts chapter 9 is that there's a new dispensation beginning, a new way that God is dealing with man. And he saves Saul in this new way. And here you have somebody who really was ineligible for salvation under what had been preached prior to this. And yet God takes this chief of sinners and saves him in this new way as an example to both Jew and Gentile in order to give him a very special position in in the plan of God and in the word of God. And that is that he he is going to be called the apostle of the Gentiles. And out of all the books in your Bible... The ones written by Paul are the only ones that are written directly to Gentiles. And what we've seen up to this point is we've seen the focus to be on the Jews and on Israel. And and we haven't seen anybody in the New Testament here being saved without some connection to Israel. But now after Acts chapter 9, some things are going to begin to change. And in fact, by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, the, the focus will be taken completely off of Peter and James and John and the Jerusalem church and, and the you know, that, that uh, believing remnant of Israel. And it will be put on the ministry of this new man, Saul, later called Paul, and his ministry to the Gentiles. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com.